Welcome to Vino Week, episode 12, brought to you by Vino 101. Welcome to Vino Week, I'm Bill. Hello, everybody. This is Al. Bill, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's uh, let's talk about what's going on in the world of wine. Uh, you had any good wines lately? You know, <laughs> I did last weekend. Throwing you off. <laughs> I, I, I did last weekend. Oh, Oh yeah, that's right. We, we did. Uh, I I had some good la- wines last weekend too. Yeah, um, some pretty amazing wines. Um, that's the the West of the West Fest that Al and I attended. So we got to try some uh, wine from very local to where we are, but very high level of uh, quality across the board. It was a, an impressive show. Yeah, it was. Uh, it, it was instead of saying or calling it the West of the West, you probably could have called it the best of the best. Yeah, because it was. Um, it was really a, a great tasting. Yeah, and I and um, you know, I haven't, you know, had Chardonnay. Like, sat down and had a bottle of Chardonnay for a while, and the there were a couple shards there that I tasted that were just perfect for what i like in a chardonnay um and there and i and i'll say there were all kinds of different styles of shard um you know and they were all good so that was sort of eye-opening to me yeah it's amazing uh that the grape uh that variety kind of gets panned for just being uh oh yeah you know chardonnay it's so passe but it is still one of the number one selling wines here in the in the U.S. and boy, that Charles Heinz Vineyard, um, their Chardonnays were fantastic. So we'll be we'll be uh, we're gonna we're gonna do a post on um, our our recommendations, what we liked, and it was good. And you folks can run out there and buy yourself some bottles. Some of these producers are pretty small. You got to be some of them. You have to be on their mailing list, but um, they'll definitely be uh, worth uh, looking for and searching out. Yeah, and I think what we're—it's the thirteen vintage that was mostly being poured. Yes, um, there are a couple vintners that uh, brought, um, you know, uh, the same wine, but uh, same wine but different vintages. So that was kind of interesting to taste because you could get a little idea what's going on in the bottle um, over time. <clears throat> you know, obviously the you know the weather plays a part, but for the most part, that was really it was mostly thirteens. Yeah, that was pretty uh, – uh, who was it? Was it Hirsch or uh, somebody out there? It was Fort Ross. They had a they had a 2010 Pinotage. Yeah. And a, and yeah. a 2011 Pinot Noir Reserve. I mean, the, the wines were – they were really good. Yeah. I mean, and the Pinotage was – I don't – you know, I, I actually – I like that grape, and it was – that Pinotage was good. Yeah, it threw me off because it didn't really taste like, you know, the pinotage that I'm familiar with that would come from, you know, South Africa. Yeah, yeah. You know, they tend to be a little bit more meatier and, and a little bit more earthy, but uh, it was it was a very good wine. Yeah, it was a soft. I mean, it, you wouldn't be disappointed if you purchased it at all. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know what the price point on it was. Uh, but. I don't either. I don't either. But we'll, we'll follow up with that post. <laughs> it was uh, – and thanks to the folks at West of the West um, – Hopefully that's a successful show for all those vintners. Um, yeah, I don't see how it couldn't be. Yeah, that was just uh, it was a great opportunity to go there. Hey, let's. Uh, all right, into the news. Yeah, there's a there's been a big dust up uh, in the blogosphere. 
uh, with the hose master of wine. <laughs> this is just, I mean, it's, I read this stuff. It's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> I mean, really? So we should probably, um, detail more about what happened. So, so, uh, Ron Warsham, he's, he's, uh, or Washam, I believe that's how you say his name. He's, uh, He's a he's a, a reformed sommelier uh, from the L.A. area, and uh, he's been in a whole bunch of different aspects of the wine world. But of late, he writes uh, he writes pieces about wine, but it's satire. Yeah, he's you know he's been writing some snarky stuff about about yeah. wine and about producers and yeah, and there is some ridiculous stuff that goes on with wine, right? Yeah, yeah, and he and he's a writer, and for the most part, you know, I'm not a super regular reader of his stuff because I get caught in so much other stuff. But whenever I do read what he puts out, you know, especially if you know a little bit of the inside of the business, it's quite it's quite hilarious. Yeah, I mean, well the the post he wrote in response to uh, so he wrote a post about Rydell, right? Um, and kind of um satirizing their you know their glassware and their brand right yeah did, did you read it did you read that post i did i did yeah it's it's uh it's 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 funny i, <laughs> That's all I, I can say you know this. you read it and it's like okay this is entertaining yeah and he, and he basically in the post you know i mean to summarize it and, and let me know if you agree or disagree but he, he basically portrays uh, the owner, uh, George Rito, and his company, or, or George in general. He, he, um, he characterizes him as a flimflam man, you know, that's going around and just basically, you know, talking people that have a lot of money and don't have a bunch of intelligence out of their money. Right. <laughs> and he tells about how he does it. So it's, it's quite humorous. However, um, and I don't think it would have been a big deal, and it probably would have, would have gone unnoticed, but it got published in Europe on Tim Atkins' uh, site, and I believe that's how the that's... company picked it up. And uh, they're not—they're uh, not—they're none too happy <laughs> about it. So this article was printed uh, back in August. So just to let you know uh, the time frame, this was printed back on August 3rd, and they sent him, I mean, they responded immediately. They sent him a letter um, uh, letting him know that he's in deep trouble with them August 5th, just a couple days later. He, was, yeah, he, he got the cease and desist letter from the lawyers. Um, so, I mean, it's interesting how he handled it. He decided instead of the cease and desist and say, I'm sorry, because he's saying it's, it's satire. You know, you guys, come on, you know, lighten up. He just kind of went full full tilt, called them bullies, said they're humorless. Uh, well, I, I like bullies. My, my favorite part is his the actual title of the post. Um, and how do you say it? You say it, Riedel? Yes, Riedel. Riedel. So forgive me. I, it, and that's probably – it's an Austrian name, huh? Yes. So, okay. So my German relatives aren't rolling over in their graves right now. Um, <laughs> um, so Riedel threatens the hose master of wine. Hand blow me. <laughs> so I find that really funny. 
Yes. That's hilarious. Um, and it, well, it, and, and that title sort of illustrates in my mind the ridiculousness of this, you know, really you're gonna like write a blogger and tell them to stop because they're poking fun at you, which leads you to believe maybe there's some truth in the post. Well, you know, there's, uh, in all jokes, there's a little bit of truth. They say, uh, what did, uh, the wine curmudgeon wrote a little bit on it and he quoted Voltaire and he said, to learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticize. (laughs) This is a, this is a true, uh, this is a true statement. That's a great graphic there. But he, uh, uh, the curmudgeon's actually making a great point. You know, Champagne Jane was getting um, – um, I know she got sued. Yes. Yeah, and, she got uh, sued by the Australian um, – uh, by the Champagne Trade Group. She did. And uh, they were very serious. And she uh, – it was expensive, I think. I don't know. I, I've lost track of what has happened with that suit, but I know that she has a much lower profile now as a result of it. Right. <clears throat> well, and it, it – um, you know, we see this all the time now, and not just in the wine world, but kind of across the board where, you know, people are trying to use a lot of silence critics. And if you have enough money, you can employ enough lawyers to, uh, if nothing else, slow people down. Well, yeah, and the money thing is is uh, interesting because the hose master, Ron's come up with the defense fund. Yeah. <laughs> you, could, you could actually go on there. And, and- and uh, you can donate to his fund because uh, I guess he's uh, he's sticking to his gun, so to speak. Right. Right. But, but there's a the comments are hilarious. I mean, there's there's like almost 92 comments on this one post, which is got to be some type of record. <laughs> that's just funny. So that's uh, that's that's where we start. Um, and uh, I don't, you know. I'm like you. I think it's funny, but it's really serious business because um, the the glass company, I mean, you're talking a a million dollar company and, you know, maybe perhaps they, you know, they take their business seriously and uh, they don't see. I think the laws, the laws over here are different than the laws over there. So the fact that it was actually posted over in Europe, there's a precedent where. In Europe, it's handled a lot differently. There's not this First Amendment thing over there. You know, so there's more protections, and the consumer, or actually the people that write these posts, are more at risk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Um... And I went on the, uh, now I don't know if this is originally there or not, but uh, on Atkins' site now, there's a little... There's a small little Mia Copa, and it's hard for me to believe that this was there before, because he might be he might be open to litigation because he's based in in the UK, and it says, and it's in bold print before the article starts. It says in this piece, U.S. based U.S. based writer Ron Washam pokes fun at Riedel, the wine glass company, a brand that I respect and use personally. This is a piece of satirical writing. No offense is meant to be caused either to George Riedel or to his business. Please note that no interview with George Riedel took place in the creation of this article 
and that all quotes are fictitious and do not represent the personal views or business practices of George Riedel and his company, signed Tim Atkin. So, you know, he's made a he's made a concession and actually put a little proviso there in the article, but it's still up on his site and it's still posted. Yeah, and that might be the uh, area where you get in trouble. Is that you're like, hey, this is satire, and it's like, you know, it's not perceived as satire because it's not labeled as you know humor. Or, you know, it's being passed off as something real. Like I, like I don't know the law around that content that that those types of pieces of content, but um, or around defamation, which is you know effectively where you would go. But um, it's interesting. Yeah, the the and people should go and you should just read the letter that they sent. But uh, you know, the second the second paragraph is is telling their side of the point it says, although you may profess yourself to be a writer of satire, there's nothing satirical or funny about the article or the act of libeling Riedel. Yeah, there you go. And that's an important, <laughs> there's an important distinction there. Yeah. You know, the other thing that's interesting too, is that, um, <clears throat> a brand can get in trouble this way. Um, you know, where the, the community, or the public views views it as satire and thinks it's funny and and then here comes a company in saying, Well, it's not funny and sort of, you know, bullying the um uh you know, bullying the writer and you know, you have a backlash against the brand. Um, you know, well I'm not gonna do business with those people. I'm not gonna buy their wine glasses anymore because they're you know, they're not nice people. I mean that can happen. Well, yeah, and if, if it's to believe uh, some of the people that actually commented on the article, um, there's a number of people that had vowed not to buy those glasses, wow. which which cuts both ways because it says, okay, they see it's funny and it's, these guys are being ridiculous, but it also speaks to the point of Riedel, hey, I'm being harmed by this article. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, it, it will be interesting to see what happens. It's, uh, you know, just another reminder of wine, you know, wine's a business, right? It's, you know, yes, it's a craft and it's an art and all that good stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's an agricultural business. Indeed. Well, hey, I've got a quick, a real quick review. I couldn't, I couldn't, um, this is a follow-up. I couldn't get this to you. It's about Mr. Hill, Mr. Uh, Jeffrey Hill. Right. And and refresh everyone who Mr. Hill is. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Hill, we talked about him in one of our, our previous podcasts. He's a great gore, uh, wannabe uh, superstar winemaker. Uh, he was in charge of some vineyard operations. And um, he diverted some of the grapes for the operations that were to go to other wineries to make some rather prestigious wines. He diverted those grapes to his winery. And uh, in the process, he got caught. And... Uh, He's uh, in hot water, and uh, actually, he was um, he was in court. Let's see, he was in court on July fourteenth, and um, he entered into a plea agreement uh, in the People versus Jeffrey Hill case, and they convicted him of a felony of one of the one of the counts, and the other account uh, there was two counts. One count was dropped. 
reason I'm bringing this up is he's due back in court here uh, this week coming up, I believe. And uh, they're going to finish up the paperwork and figure out uh, the sentencing. The sentencing is scheduled for uh, August 11th, which is just a few days from now over in Napa. He's looking at some time in prison. And uh, his attorney is going to ask for him, um, ask that the uh, that the conviction be um, lowered to a misdemeanor. And if that's the case, then obviously he won't receive any prison time. He won't be incarcerated. Um, I got a letter from uh, Del, uh, Desiree Delgado, and they're one of the people that was harmed uh, by this gentleman's actions. And they have a petition out. And they have uh, close to 14,000 signatures already that these charges stay as they are and it not be lowered to a misdemeanor. They want this guy to do some time. So, uh, yeah, you know, I don't know what you think about that, but that I think it's pretty interesting. So uh, some some big time politics going on. Yeah, I you know, they people got harmed and, you know, they want the punishment to fit the crime. I mean, that's reasonable. Yeah, and that's the bit. That's the basis of the thing. They they basically lost eight hundred thousand dollars. You know, they those those grapes were gonna go into a bottle of wine that cost one hundred ninety five dollars. So, <laughs> so it's not it's not like uh, you know you know it's it's a it's a big deal. It's yeah, almost a, you know, having been on the, you know, having made, you know, having made wine before and having known people who own wineries like i empathize with that sort of sentiment yeah and and their point is you know they want their point is if this guy's allowed uh, to plead down so to speak and it goes to a, a misdemeanor you know what's to stop other people from doing the same thing knowing that they are gonna have to go to jail you know yeah. because the the punishment doesn't fit the crime so to speak i, I makes sense so anyway, uh, if you want to go, I'm, I'm sure you could find that if you're interested and you want to support their cause. Uh, you can contact Desiree um, Delgado at Delgado Wines, and uh, you can sign on their petition. So, uh, boy, do we have any? Uh, should we stay in the in the realm of uh, bad things going on in the wine business? Yeah, we might as well. <laughs> well, we'll wrap up with more pleasant stuff. <laughs> Jeez, uh, you know, it's like you said though. There's I mean, it's agriculture, but there's so much money in it. Whenever you have a lot of money in something, you're gonna have some. You're gonna have some some bad players. Yeah, and uh, you know that's that's where we're at. Well, our latest uh, big uh, thing here, uh, and this is a little bit of a this is a real big dust up also, is uh, Bellow Winery. Right. And uh, yeah, I sent you the link to that. Did you get that link? Oh yeah, yeah. I I I had read this story earlier in the week. Okay. Yeah, well, uh, apparently, uh, you want to go ahead and uh, give them the background on it? So we're talking about Michael Rubello. So he's an <laughs> you know, owner of a construction company, came to Napa, hooked up with some pretty prominent people in the Valley. And, um, you know, he's basically in trouble now for, you know, misappropriating funds basically accused of um you know really or sorry accused of um fraud basically 
Yeah, he's in he's he's in some fairly deep serious. But I would I would say in his in his defense, I mean he's really I mean if you want to boil this all down, he's really a a victim of the housing meltdown. I mean because what he did was he he was in the construction business. Right. And he was he was doing really well, you know, when we had that run up. And um you know, when you're doing that well and it seems like, you know, the, the sky's the limit, you know, like you said, he came to Napa. He had a boatload of money. Um, the money was rolling in. He found all the best people to start his operation, uh, did the best of everything. And when 2007 hit and we had the big kaboom where, you know, you know, he wasn't unfortunate. I guess the big thing for him, what what's a bummer for him is his name wasn't uh, – he, he didn't have the name of a big bank behind him and he, he what I guess he wasn't too big to fail. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I mean, he, he, he didn't get bailed out. So what happened was his revenues kept going down over the years as the real estate market just tanked and refused to recover. And, uh, he kept doing what he was doing, what he had been doing in the past. He just kept spending and kept doing whatever he needed to do. Right. Although there's, and, you know, there's a, you know, there's a whole thread here on this secret bank account, right? Um, we had this company, Wall Design. Wall Design was a, a plasterer, and and it's, it built walls. Um, you know, it put like acoustic, um, um, you know, soundproofing in walls, and you know, put drywall up. You know, as the I'm sure it was probably pretty large if he was building you know tracks of homes down in SoCal. Um, and that, you know, that the money from that dried up because of the, the banking, but it turns out that he had a supposedly secret wall design corporate bank account, um, which was established in, in 22. So there, there seems to be a lot of, um, interest in sort of how the funds were funneled into that account and then used. And of course, you know, a lot of people don't like the you know, he started to lose money and didn't change his lifestyle. So that's, uh, you know, uh, we, we don't like that in America when people do that. Well, there's, there's nothing wrong with having, uh, dual accounts, which is, is essentially what he had, but you have to be careful with, you know, having owned a business before you have to be careful what you do with those funds in that dual account. Well, it's, so he went into bankruptcy and he didn't disclose that account during filing. That's a big no no. That's yeah. I mean, that's like that's yeah. That's really, that's like lying to the IRS. Yeah. Well, that's I mean, not so good. I mean, so I mentioned the word fraud in the beginning. That's what they're you know the IRS is going to come after you for that for fraud. Yeah, yeah, they really are. So yeah, he's in he's in some fairly serious trouble with the government. But the 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 main part of this article is um, he's being sued. Um for clawback funds. Right. So, I mean, he's still in business. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting to note about all of this is, you know, the, the company's still in business. I think if I'm not mistaken, you can still go on a site and buy wines right. from, you know, Bella wines. So, but, well, you know, in the case of the bankruptcy, right, he made a deal with all these creditors, <laughs> a lot of which are these people in Napa that he had, um, you know, that he had hired to sort of guide him, basically establish him in the wine business. Yep. And you, you, 
if you have enough money, you can certainly do that. You can certainly get in the business and, and you will more than likely be successful. I mean, these people know the business, right? And they probably lived here a long time. So they all went to court and bankruptcy and everybody agreed how they were going to be made whole or, you know, not necessarily made whole, but, you know, agreed to sort of, you know, take cents on the dollar. And the secret bank account, you know, some of the people who made a deal want to go back to the table and say, you know, hey, that bank account's there. I want money out of that bank account. Yeah, and and maybe I'm maybe I'm reading this wrong, but what I'm seeing is that the the unsecured creditor, which is they're seeking payment also, but they're seeking payment from the people that received money from him from the private account. So you've got like the the wine maker, you've got you know, the vineyard manager, they've received all this money. They're being sued also to get that money, but they're being sued by the creditors. <laughs> it's a real mess. Yeah, it's a real. Um... So, I mean, you imagine you, you're like, you're working somewhere and you're making the wine for the guy and, you know, he's paying you, you know, I don't know what he was paying, but I would imagine if you're, if you're a winemaker and he's making, he's probably paying him. I don't know, six, seven, eight thousand dollars a month or whatever to, you know, oversee his operations. And, you know, the guy pays you for a couple of years and you just go on, you're doing your stuff. And then, you know, out of the blue, three years later, somebody says, hey, you know, you owe us. One hundred forty thousand dollars. You're like, what? Who are you? <laughs> exactly. What are you talking about? <laughs> so that's uh, it's just a real mess, man. But, you know, I mean. God, it's just I, I it's, it's like a it's like a soap opera type of thing here. Yeah, and you know, so I read that I read this article and I had to read it more than once and I, I still don't know that I've I think I'd have to draw a diagram. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, it, it's you know, so I get the gist of the story, but it's like wow. Um <clears throat> so the article's really, you know, kudos to the to the um you know, to the register. We're kind of running this down, but literally down in the, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole section titled ongoing. Yes. You know, where they're literally like, you could literally draw a chart or a diagram that basically says who, you know, who's got who, whose hand and whose pocket. Yeah. It's, it's really, that's a, that's a really good point. It could be a diagram and it would, arrows would be going in different directions. And back, like in circles kind of, um, <laughs> But, I, you know, it's so and I and this probably happens a lot. Right. I mean, one of the things that's that, um, you know, you go to some of these wineries and they look very impressive. You know, they're, you know, beautiful buildings and, you know, there's they're small business. Yeah. At the end of the day, I mean, they don't have and what I mean by that. There's not a CFO and they're you know, they may or may not be audited from a CPA standpoint. So things like this happen all the time. It's like, oh, here's a, you know, here's a uh, literally like a slip of paper, like you'd write a, uh, an order on at a, a, at a restaurant, you know, one of those like little notepad things that say, hey, you owe me, you know, $46,000 for some grapes. Exactly. You know, yeah. and it, it's like, it's like written down <clears throat> in a book somewhere typed into, you know, a Quicken account, not a QuickBooks, like a checking account register. So like trying to unbundle some of this stuff can be a mess. And, and, um, and this is where it kind of dovetails with with uh, 
the whole thing with the corporate um, corporations starting to to buy some of these quote unquote small family operations. You know, what these corporations bring is they, they bring organization, you know, they, yeah, they, bring, some, they bring uniformity. Yeah. And a prof- you know, the whole professional, the word professional with regard to business. So, you know, keeping track of books and, um, you know, because, you know, again, a lot of these things are like, hey, I got cash in the cash drawer. We're good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um. But speaking of big big business, um, it looks like there's a new uh, a new member of the Italian stock market. Oh man, Mr. Amaroni. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, um, looks like uh, where is the Italian stock market based, man? It's got to be like in Milan or something. That's what I, I was. I, I don't know, but that would be my. It would see the Rome or Rome or Milan, right? I, yeah, I would probably guess Milan, but I don't know for a fact. So uh, Sandro uh, Boscaini, I believe that's how you say his name, Sandro Boscaini, he is the the head man at uh, Mazi Agricola, and uh, they make um, some great wines from up uh, in northern Italy, and uh, they're going to be the first, is that true, the first company? Is it the first company or the first premium Italian wine producer? Because I, I I find it hard to believe there's not another wine company on the Italian stock market. Yeah, it's so he, there's a quote in the article uh, by Sandro that says, we're delighted to be the first listed wine producer in Italy. Okay. Indeed, one of the first in Europe. Wow, that's amazing. So this is, you know, so this... For those that aren't sort of immersed in this, this all goes back to what we were just talking about. When you become a listed company um, on a stock exchange, the rules for how you account for your business completely change. Yes, they are. Um, And what you can and can't do with your money completely changes. So, you know, this really requires a level of rigor that a um, a lot of businesses probably, you know, aren't there yet. And it, it, it isn't just like to get listed is effort in terms of like, you want to talk about cleaning up your books. Yes. Um, it's, you know, that's, there's a, it's a, it's a, I, I, well, like I don't know in Europe when I imagine it would be very similar, but in the United States, that's a pretty high bar. Yeah. And the, and the mandatory, uh, reporting that must be done on a regular basis has got to be, you, you got to open up a whole nother operational office just to keep up with that. I would imagine. Yeah. So in the, in the, in the, you know, the business of tech companies, you know, I can tell you that people will say that the cost of doing this is somewhere between, I, you know, like 25% and like 10%. Um, it's going to run you, you know, in terms of your overhead cost, which is, that's a substantial number, and yep. that's that's to get that's to get public, right? I I don't know if that's an ongoing number, but um, you know I believe the report ongoing reporting number percentage is somewhere in the eight percent because you've got to produce quarterly reports and you have to disclose kind of you know account for your operation. Um, yep. You know, typically down you know down to the you know sometimes down to the product level. I, there's some discretion in what you can do there, but um, like you can roll up categories um you know as an example in this last earnings report apple did not report 
did not break out sales of their watch. Um, but they did for their iPods and iPhones and, and their computers. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's sort of an example of like how it, you know, at what level it can go down to. And that means you have to report like you're effectively reporting on what that business looks like. Yeah. You know, how much? Well, I mean, well, you're beholden to the people that are, you know, giving you money. So yeah, you're, you're, you have to disclose because you're shareholders. Yeah. The other thing that would be really interesting to see as these companies become public, um, you know, what happens in terms of the wine, I don't want to say wine quality, but the, um, there'll be pressure to increase the volume of sales. So does that, my question would be, does that change the wine? Yeah. And, and also not only that pressure to increase sales, but there's also the, this, this underlying pressure of, well, we need to make money, which is how much more, what, what, you know, what are your earnings going to be for next quarter? And what are your earnings going to be for the quarter after that? And I guess they're one and the same, you know, we need to sell more wine. But it's just, uh, it'd be very, it will be interesting to see what happens. Because what comes to mind for me is the whole Mondavi fiasco. And uh, when Robert Mondavi went public, what was this? 25 30 years ago was that in the 80s that he did that yeah it was a, it was really a long time ago yeah. and he was he was rocking and rolling and he just wanted to expand his empire and one way to expand your empire is to get more money coming into your company and the way to do that is to get you know to be publicly traded right. and it worked for a while but you know in the end i mean i think a lot of people would probably agree you know maybe even some of the heirs of robert mondavi that it didn't work out for the best so, and, but to your point, I don't think it ever impacted the quality of the wines at Robert Mondavi. As a matter of fact, I think the wines quality got better. Yeah. Well, you know, you can take that tack too, which is, you know, especially in a luxury goods business that, you know, you can, um, you can increase the. Uh, price of the product you sell and you know, try to go after, you know, a smaller number of, uh, of people who can pay you more for that particular product, right? It's sort of a strategy there, that luxury goods strategy. And that seemed to be what Mondavi did, right? They used that money to start brands that commanded, you know, you know, hundreds of dollars of bot, uh, per bottle. So I have a question for you. I haven't, uh, I'm not a guy that buys individual stock or anything. But uh, I'm, I'm definitely not smart enough for that. Could I buy some stock on the Italian stock market? Is that possible? Could I buy a round lot of, of uh, say, 100, 100 I shares? I don't know for sure. I'm sure you can, though. Okay. I, I don't know for sure. But I, I'm this day and age, I'm sure you can. No, no promises that I'm going to do that, though. Yeah, I, <laughs> highly speculative stock. <laughs> so, And, I, you know, I don't – I've never – like looked into Mondavi or Gallo. I'm sure you can buy the the uh, companies that we talked about that were sort of in the top ten of wine business in the U.S. I'm sure some of those are publicly traded and you can buy in the U.S. exchanges. Yeah, well, let me uh, real quick. I don't think you can buy stock in Gallo. Gallo is a privately owned company. Gotcha. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know who, uh, like I said, I don't know who on that list is public and private. Yeah. Um, and I... 
I'm sure you can probably place an order on the Italian Stock Exchange. All right. Well, I'm not going to say that I'm going to look into that because, well, I'm not. <laughs> but it will be interesting to see what happens. It'll be interesting to see if anybody else follows suit. You know, if there's another company in Europe that says, hey, this might not be such a bad idea. Maybe I do that. I could think of a few uh, German and Austrian producers that I could see doing something like that. But I don't know. Um, I don't know of any other Italian wine company that I could think of that would that would consider that. Um, I just I just find it amazing that they're willing to take they're willing to trade their freedom of execution for the rules that they're going to have to play by from a company standpoint. That's just fascinating. Well said. And it's a company that's been around for a very long time. They're not like uh, Johnny Come Lately the past hundred years. Family business. Like I just can't imagine. I can just hear. Like, what do you mean we can't do that? <laughs> no, you can't do. You, no, you can't take that pile of money and use it over here. What? You have to. That's you have to check. You have to check with the board first. Yeah, you have to check with the board. You got to get shareholder <laughs> approval. I mean, it's it. Man, it changes. Yeah, that's a, um, that's going to be very interesting. Yeah. So should, we got. Uh, I think we're getting near the end here. Should we? Should we end it on a, a light note? Um. So one other thing I, I that you you sent over that I think we should mention because it's sort of a. Um. I don't want to say it's an about face, but it's a different. Um, it's a different tax. So this is local to us in Sonoma County. We've seen a number of wine winery projects sort of. I don't want to say blocked, but stopped. And there's an article in the press demo this past week about two winery projects that are moving forward. Um, yes. And what's really interesting is that they're very, uh, as Santa Rosa is growing, the one of them is close to Santa Rosa. Um, and it's around uh, um, a couple of parks, and it's also near um, a place called Oakmont, which is... Um, a big yes. senior, a, a big senior, you know, 55 plus living community that's on the, you know, Eastern, Eastern <laughs> edge of Santa Rosa, you know, really interesting in terms of like, you know, I, I think the same conversation about the roads not being, you know, equipped. And of course the roads in Santa Rosa were just recently in a survey and I can't remember who did the survey, you know, they're the worst of any city in the United States. Um, we're number one. Yeah, we're not. Yeah, we're number one. So I, I just thought that this was interesting, and that these projects were going to get to move forward, and others weren't. And but you know, you know, one of them was approval was granted ninety nine. Yeah, and that's why they're be, being able to move forward. They were already they already were done several years back. So and I mean nineteen ninety nine. Come on, dude, that's friggin. 15, 16 years ago. Yeah, I know. So um, they obviously they bought the property knowing that, you know, hey, there's something that good could be done with this, but we don't know what we want to do yet. And now they're figuring they can do something. On a personal note, where these wineries are being constructed, it's just on the it's just on the east side of Santa Rosa as you're going out 12 headed towards Napa and or headed towards Sonoma, excuse me. And it's before you get to Kenwood is where these properties are. And that's a two lane road. And there's no um, there's no margin or median on the side of the road. And, you know, you can get going there 
through there pretty good. I actually, you know, who knows, but I was almost in a major accident going to an event through Kenwood. Uh, this is years ago. And it was, I was just driving along at 45 and somebody just pulled right in front of me like they didn't even see me. So I could see why the residents of this area might go, wow, another winery. Because when you travel through that corridor from Oakmont, the retirement village, all the way through Kenwood, there's got to be like 20 wineries. Yeah, there are, there. there are. I mean, it's it's Valley of the Moon. It's, a, you know, it's Sonoma Valley in Kenwood. <laughs> there's a lot of famous producers out there and, you know, people like this who want to you know, come out and, you know, start their businesses there. And there's no, there's no traffic lights. There's not a traffic, there's not, there's not a traffic light in that area to slow people down. And then where they have to start up again, that little area that goes right through Kenwood, it's like a freeway through the city. Yeah. I was, I, excuse me. I was just about to say that. Right. I mean, it's a, it's a state highway. It's highway 12. (laughs) And it's, you know, it's posted 4550 and this town of Kenwood, and it is kind of a town now. It used to be, you know, a gas station kind of, you know, a gas yeah. station, a couple stores. It, it's more than that now. And, you know, you've got people who have been out wine tasting. You've got people who are looking for restaurants. You know, so people are, you know, trying to slow down to look for places. Maybe and, may or may not be inebriated or um, you know buzzed. It, it's a recipe for it, accidents. You read it all the time. Yeah, so, and not to be and not to be ageist, but you also have a fair number of people that are up in age, and some you know, God rest their souls. Like you know, my mom. Maybe they shouldn't be driving at certain times of the day. Yeah, <laughs> they're out there on the road. Yeah, and it, it's not a it's. Yeah, it's just not like the road's not designed. Uh, honestly, the real issue here is the road is not built nor designed to accommodate the environment that it's in. Correct. You yeah. know, like you say, stoplights and bigger medians, better signage, and uh, you know would would all help. <clears throat> you know, would alleviate the issue. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. and there's also the other thing that we we haven't talked about that plays a big role here in this particular area and i know this is a very local thing we have a lot of people who come out here to ride bikes this is a really awesome place to do biking we have professional teams that come out here and cycle and this area that we're talking about is a great place to ride your your bicycle in terms of sort of the beauty that's out there and really is the terrain However, so you add not only the the car traffic, but you're adding bicycle traffic, and it adds a whole new dimension to the the, the, the problem. Um, yeah, and there's there's been you know there's been documented um, you know fatalities involving cars and bikes on that road recently. Yep. So right. it's you know it's not th- this these these people that are up in arms about these wineries, you know they have a. Le- you know, building places, more places along this road, they have a legitimate beef. <laughs> so, you know, it, it cuts both ways. I also see, you know, I see it from the farmer's viewpoint. I mean, it could be a lot, they could do a lot worse things with that property. You know, I mean, obviously they could leave it fallow, but they're businessmen. So they want to make money and at least they're keeping it agricultural, which is, you know, another way to look at it. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, when you start looking at the numbers, the amount of land that in the county 
that's actually planted uh, for grapes is not as big as you might imagine. Yeah. And I guess when I was reading the article, the one thing that stuck out in my mind, and I'll see if I can find it here real quick, was the number of events when they when they when they actually got approved. And this was a few years ago. um, They're going to be allowed to hold. It was some ungodly amount of events. (laughs) Do you remember seeing that? No, I don't remember the number. Um, But that's interesting because, I I mean, that's going to if it was a big number, that's going to get revisited. And and that's where the money is. The money isn't so much being able to put put the unit in or whatever it is. Okay, it's thirty two events a year. So that's so Letson is trying to get a winery in Kenwood. He's trying to um he has an application for a fifty thousand case winery. And uh he wants to have public tastings that feature thirty two events a year, but that's not the one uh, let's see. The one that was uh, it, it's 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 ridiculous, and it's because they got approved back in 1999, so this wasn't an issue back then. And, you know, it was much more rural then. So they they've got uh, an application. Yeah, here it is. Wow, thirty. Let's see. It's a small winery. It's five thousand case winery. This is for uh, uh, Bordigioni. I guess that's how you see it. And uh, capacity of 60,000 cases a year. He intends to dig a 6,200-square-foot wine cave and host 30 special events per year, allowing 100 to 225 people per event. I would say that that would definitely not get approved in this day and age. Yeah, no way. I mean, that's really – I mean, the impact on that area is (laughs) – sounds like a recipe for somebody getting hurt. (laughs) <laughs> so anyway, that's a, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a that's a. Yeah, it's, it's just it, it's funny because we've just been seeing this sort of clamp down on it, and then here it's like you know you know it's sort of it's sort of already in the system, but it's just like getting through the system. Yeah. It, it you know, people are going to be like, "What the heck?" <laughs> Again, well, it's just going to make it harder for anyone else that wants to you know do something else. And the sad part about it is, you know. I can see if you have a tasting room right on that road, I can see what people will get up in arms because you got people, they pull into the parking lot, they're right there, they go in, you know, hopefully they're not the drive. Hopefully they have a designated driver, but you know, a lot of times that's not the case, you know, and I could, I could see their concern there, but what about a person who wants to build a winery on a hill? You know, it's got a private road. It's way out in the hill somewhere. Those people aren't going to be able to, you know, they're going to be looked at with a certain amount of um, increased scrutiny also. Yeah, and honestly, you know, the smart thing to do there, and I do, I I know um, one newer, um, newer sort of like in the last 10 years, um, folks that got into the business. And what they did is they, they were, you know, so they're, um, you know, they're off sort of a very narrow windy road um a, a property that's got like weird egress and ingress into mm-hmm. their property sort of a single lane road there's actually two driveways sort of side by side but one leads to their property and one leads to someone else's so you got to pick the right one well they went for a couple of years where they're like yeah we're going to build our tasting room here what they opted to do is actually buy a tasting room that had 
better ingress and egress that was actually in uh, very near Santa Rosa um, versus sort of where they're at kind of in the and they're you know near uh, sort of on the east on uh, I'll say sort of east side well they're in the gap right right um, so I, I think you're gonna see this move where it's like yeah we're gonna have our winery but we're gonna have a tasting room somewhere else that is equipped to be able to handle, you know, traffic and we can hold events there and that type of stuff. Um, you know, I, I think that'll be interesting to see. You see that in Healdsburg at some level. Yeah, it's just, uh, well, it's, it's not just the same, right? It's not like going to the winery. Um, but, you know, now, but at least you get to try the wares and you can, you get to learn their story, but yeah, I see what you're saying. This, it is not, it's not the same, you know, it's not as romantic. Right. It doesn't, you know, people want to go to the winery and see the, you know, everybody falls in love with this idea that, you know, people put these vines in the ground and then have this awesome life around, <laughs> around wine, which is, that's a great, it's a great fairy tale to have people think that that's, you know, the way it is. And people want to sort of have that experience. But I think we're going to see more and more of the sort of commercial tasting room that's in, in a city. Yeah. Cause it's it, going to it, be the only way they're going to be able to do it. Yeah, and in the end, it's all about us all getting along and being good neighbors. That's the kumbaya thing. Hey, you know, real quick, there's another thing in the, that was in the local paper. Do you see the thing about the the guy that sells uh, eggs at a little side stand in Windsor? I saw. I did not read the article. I oh. think I've been there. I think I've been there. Is that off by one of the parks towards one of the parks there on the east? Yes. Side? Yes. Yeah, I've been to that place. And there's a. I mean, I guess there's a there's a road that you use to get to his operation and there's also a road that goes to a winery and i guess uh he signed 10 years ago saying that he wasn't going to do any type of commercial stuff the guy's just like selling some eggs on the side of the road and this winery's uh windsor oak vineyards they're like hey no man you can't sell you know you can't sell eggs there you know you, you said you weren't going to do anything uh, commercial on this road to, to get access to the property so he's basically got all these chickens and and eggs, and he's got nowhere to put the eggs now. You better start rolling to the farmers market. <laughs> I, you know, he signed an agreement. <laughs> I, you made an agreement. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, so yeah, uh, maybe time to go renegotiate. Yeah, it could be. Can I something's, sell him at the winery? Something's got to be worked out. I'll give you a dime a dozen. <laughs> so. Um, I guess we should uh, we should shut it down here. Yeah. Um. I, just one more mention. I think is kind of fun. The the six signs should be coming a wine buff. Oh yeah, that is great. I think that was a good thing <laughs> to end on. So, um, and there's some um, doozies there. It's a bummer for me a little bit because I can relate to many of them. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and and um. So just real quick. So number one is when you're more interested in the producer than the vintage. Two is when you find a good independent wine merchant and you listen to what they say. Excellent point. Yeah. Three is when you become more tolerant of below-par bottles. Four, when you find yourself discussing minerality. I'm going to come <laughs> back to number four. Um, five, when you buy a wine because you've never heard of it. And six, I've never been guilty of this. When you serve friends wines they might not like, but you will. <laughs> so I say tough. that sarcastically. <laughs> um, so number four, I can't tell you at when we went to this tasting last Sunday, I heard more people talking about minerality, yeah, than I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I, I, 
and so they're kind of saying right now it's like everybody's favorite tasting note now is minerality. It's so funny because it's like that's that's so true. Yeah, it's a that was a geeky crowd, and uh, yeah, it was a lot of talk about minerality. I agree. So good <laughs> stuff. But that's uh, who posted this. This said uh, Decanter had it on. We'll make sure you ha- that we post that. It's uh, um, it's great. It's got a, some couple of really great cartoons that make will will make you laugh out. Made me laugh out loud. I I can re- I can relate to number five because I I just went to the wine shop uh, yesterday and, and picked up half a case, and I'm I can't remember but I'm sure I bought three bottles of wine that I'd never heard of. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, well, I mean that's you know I mean that's the point, right? I mean, I think one of the, I think one of the things that you're you'll learn if you're if you start to um, enjoy wine more is that you definitely need um, you definitely need help uh, from an editorial standpoint on what to drink. Yeah, and I don't mean your people are telling you, "Oh, go buy this bottle." But more along the lines, kind of what this article is saying, hey, these producers make, you know, you know, Pinot does really well in this particular area. These producers are the best producers. Like, you want to know that information because then you go try their wines. Yes. Um, and you want, you know, you want somebody to kind of guide you. So this sort of, you know, buying wines you've never heard of it because you want to try it, but you might know the producer. Or at a wine shop that says, hey, I know your palate is like this. You should try these wines that you've never had. Um, as opposed to just like hoping you're going to go in and like get lucky. Yeah. The, the, or have to do a lot of research. I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, you're paying, you go into a wine shop and you're paying that retail, you're paying for somebody to try the wine for you. They've already done that. Yeah. If I, if I moved to a different spot or, or when I moved, you know, that would be one of the things that I would do for, you know, I'd find a good grocer, a good butcher. I'd find a good independent wine merchant. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's just what I would do. I <laughs> I mean, they say that they say that that piece of retail is going away. I, I don't. I, I disagree. I, think it, I disagree, and I think it's going to be what you're going to see is a, more of a refactoring of that business. You know, it isn't. You know, they're. It's going to be around the wine experience. Yep. You know, you go into a Starbucks, right? You know, we talked about this. You have your cup of coffee and you hang out there because it's a nice place to hang out. Well, the next thing you know, you're spending more money because you're buying a sandwich and then you're, you know, you're buying a newspaper and, yep. you know, all of a sudden your ticket there has gone from 350 for a cup of coffee to 10 bucks or to 20 bucks. Anyway, I think the same thing will happen. Go to a wine shop, hang out, have a glass of wine, you know, and buy. Hey, is that what coffee costs these days? 350 yeah, I th- I think Starbucks like a small coffee is somewhere around three bucks. Jeez, unbelievable! I stopped drinking coffee like a couple years ago. Man, yeah, lattes like you know lattes, you know at least four bucks. Um, so good though. I love the smell of coffee. <laughs> still, I love coffee. It's, it's just the greatest. Delicious. You can learn. It's not that hard to brew. Oh no, I was. Uh, you know what I'm saying. Come on, man. I was, uh, you know, I don't know if you know this about me, but I was the guy that had the different types of beans kept in the fridge. I'd grind them up fresh every morning, put them in the French press. I, I mean, I had nothing less. I had the whole, uh, <laughs> I had I all the nothing less. <laughs> Still have the stuff. Just don't use it. <laughs> I hear you. 
All right. Well, I think we should probably wrap it. All right. Hey, it was, uh, yeah, I think we were probably, uh, we, we went along on a, a few of the topics, but yeah, you know, they, there was enough material there to do that. So yeah, it just is what it is. Yeah. Um, well, have a uh, great rest of the day. Yeah, man. I'm going to see if I can find some good wine. We're going down to the Bay Area today. So um, nice. I'm going to visit some wine shops I typically don't get a chance to go to. And my wife will be like, why do we have to stop here? Uh, just quick. <laughs> I just want to look. Just in real quick, honey. Know that conversation. All right. Hey, Bill. Thanks. Uh, Thank thanks, you. everyone, for listening. Uh, how do they reach us, Bill? Info at Vino101.net. Um, Vino101.net's our site. You can always leave us a comment there. And you can always hit us up on the Twitter at Vino101.net. Fantastic. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Until then, uh, until next time, cheers. cheers.